you have your Bibles, we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as we continue our journey through spiritual maturity. The Bible says grow to maturity. We've been using the church of Corinth as a backdrop of what it means to grow to maturity. And if you've been reading through the New Testament, I hope you are, you're seeing this journey through the lenses of a man named Paul, the apostle who was a missionary who brought Christianity to the ends of the earth of that time. And he planted this church in the city named Corinth in modern-day Greece. And unfortunately, this church was growing physically, but they weren't growing spiritually. They had a lot of gifts and talents, but they lack in the area of maturity. So these two letters is Paul really challenging them and pushing them towards spiritual maturity. And we get to... This chapter in, in, in 2 Corinthians, it's the most personal letter that we have from Paul. Paul really is passionate about these people. He wants them to grow. He planted this church. Unfortunately, he goes on the next mission strip. And back in those days, you couldn't check on people via email or Instagram or phone. Like you would only get messages relayed to you months later because they didn't have the means that we have today. So letters was the technology of the day. And so Paul is writing to these people a second time, actually a third time, by the way, because he says, I had written to you before. We don't have that letter. The speculation is the third letter that we lost from Paul was probably too much. Paul was probably beside his mind about what was happening with these people that God's like, we need to lose that one. We don't, we don't need that one. That's just a speculation. Don't quote me on that. That's what theologians say, and I agree with them. I think Paul was heated. I, I just agree. But so here you see Paul being very passionate about it because he's like, man, I planted this church. I love you guys. I've led you to Jesus, and then I leave. You let these other so-called super apostles come in and dictate things and, and lead you astray, and they lead you to a different gospel, and now you're thinking I'm less than them. What is wrong with you? Like, don't you know that God called me to, 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 to speak the gospel into your life and to build you up and to strengthen you into maturity? So Paul is like, man, I can't believe that I'm having to prove myself to you. That's what he's saying. When we get to, to this chapter, Paul is like, man, I feel like I'm losing my mind telling you my credentials. But, he, but we have this letter, and it's so sobering. But I think there's some lessons here about maturity. Because the next layer of maturity we're going to talk about is that maturity comes through pain. So, so, so the title of today's talk is The Pain of Maturity. Because we all know the cliche, right? No pain. No, no, no maturity. No pain, no maturity. So if you're taking notes, the pain of maturity, and we're going to pick up right at verse 6. Paul is in the middle of this personal rant about, man, I've seen so much. The Lord has done so much. But then there's pain attached to it. Verse 6 says, if I wanted to boast, Paul's like, man, I got a lot that I can boast about. I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I received such wonderful revelations from God, Paul was like, man, God has revealed things to me that no one else has had the privilege of seeing. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was giving a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me 
and keep me from becoming proud. Even the Apostle Paul was prone to pride. Verse 8, three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Translation, I'm not enough unless you come. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the word of the Lord, Lord. Can you say amen? I must, I must tell you that this is one of those crockpot messages. It's going to take a little time. So I hope you can lean in with me because I think that there's some powerful things here for all of us. Can you say amen? amen. But we've been saying all along that a mature believer is faithful and fruitful as their true selves in Jesus. So we know that we're mature when we're being faithful and fruitful as our true selves, not a version of ourselves, but the real us. But we all know that in order to be faithful and fruitful, there's pain attached to it. There's no avoiding the reality of pain on this journey of life. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, pain is just part of life. Can we all agree on that? But the difference is, The Bible teaches us that God uses pain as an instrument to mature us in trusting him, in walking with him, in living for his glory. Can you say amen? Amen. It's interesting here, Paul says, man, I find myself in a weird position of trying to prove myself to you guys, Corinthians. And in chapter 12, he says, man, I've seen things, man. I've experienced even the third heaven. Like, I've been in the presence of God. And I find myself having to prove myself to you guys here on earth. Paul says that he had two, so many revelations that, that he was giving a thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming proud. Which is fascinating because... It tells me even the greatest apostle that's ever lived is prone to pride. That none of us is immune to this thing. See, please, if you're taking notes, get this. I don't always understand why pain is happening. Matter of fact, there's a mystery to pain that none of us will be able to fully understand. There are some things the Bible says only God has the revelation of such things. But here, my friends, in this particular situation, it tells us that this pain was intentional. This pain, there's a purpose to it. This pain was here, not by accident, not by mistake, but by purpose. Are you tracking with me? See, Paul makes a distinction here. I hope you catch this. This is important as we go forward in this message. Is that he said Satan wants to inflict pain. Because he called it a messenger of Satan. But he said God wants to use pain. It's important that we distinguish the two. 
right, that in a, any given pain, the enemy wants to inflict it and God wants to redeem it. And I was thinking about what would the world say to someone if they came up to them and said, I have this thorn in my flesh. What would the world say about this pain? Some would say, see, that's proof that God's not real. If God's real and you're serving him, Paul, why are you going through this? Some objections make sense, right? You would say, man, a loving God, Paul, why are you going through this? But our Bible tells us that we have a God who doesn't avoid pain. We actually have a God who steps into pain and that our redemption comes through pain and that God has suffered himself on behalf of humanity. That God is not a stranger to pain because God himself became pain on the cross to, to fully identify with what it means to go through pain. That his purpose in pain is to always bring redemption. Some others might say, you know, all you need, Paul, is a positive mental outlook. But the Bible says, God himself says, I don't know if you have the type of Bible that puts Jesus' words in red, but this is in red, meaning this is the Lord speaking. And he says, no, 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 it's not a positive mental outlook you need. My grace is what you need because that's where my power is made perfect. It is in my grace. Others might say, Paul, all you need is the power within you. Reach your inner self. Do some yoga. <laughs> Nothing wrong with yoga. But here the Bible tells us that God says, no, no, no. It's not the power within you. It is my power working in you. <laughs> because here's the thing that people don't understand. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is self. Amen. If God's not the one in charge than you are. And then one more, I think some would say, Paul, you need medicine. You need to take a couple of pills. And, and, and we live in a over-medicated society. We believe that the answer to everything is medication. Nothing wrong with medication. Don't hear me the wrong way. There is a place for medication, but we also know that doesn't, it doesn't matter what medication you take, some medications will never heal certain pain. Some pain is beyond the ability of science to bring healing to a perspective. Three times the Bible says he prayed. This is the Apostle Paul, my friends. This is the man who the Bible says that sometimes just his shadow would heal people. Here's a man who one time was, was preaching and a kid was, 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 was listening to Paul. Paul was going long. Paul was a long preacher and I take comfort in that. <laughs> but the kid fell asleep and broke his neck. Can you imagine being in a church service? Kid was so bored. <laughs> fell off the window, broke his neck. Paul lay hands on the kid and prays and he comes back to life. The Apostle Paul has seen miracles. The Apostle Paul has seen breakthroughs. The Apostle Paul shook off a serpent venom and nothing, nothing happened to him. This man has seen 
things that we wish we would seen. And here he is, the man who has been used to bring the gospel to these regions and no one has been before and seen miracles. And he's like, I prayed and the Lord didn't answer my prayer. Better yet, I prayed and the Lord didn't answer the way I wanted him to answer my prayer. If you look up the word three times there, it's interesting in the, in the Greek and Hebrew, it, three times is a figure of speech, meaning he prayed over and over again for the Lord to take this thorn away from him. Our Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed three times. Again, figure of speech, Lord, is there another way? But he kept saying, but not my will, but let yours be done. My grace is sufficient for you. That was, my friends, an answer to prayer. See, sometimes we say God's not answering my prayer. Maybe he's not answering your prayer the way you want him to answer your prayer. Come on, it's a rated M word today. It's a mature word. You know, I was researching this week, and part of my research was, I, I read this book, The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis, probably the greatest thinker of our 20th century. If you've never read C.S. Lewis, I highly encourage you to read C.S. Lewis. And I would, to be honest with you, I was really proud of myself for reading that book in two days because one sentence from C.S. Lewis is like, it takes you, you know, a couple of days to digest. <laughs> but he writes this, this book about the problem of pain, and he's trying to bring context to why there is pain, and some of it obviously is mysterious, but he's trying to give us some kind of context to pain. And I came across this paragraph. It's heavy. I just want to share this with you, and I pray that, that you let it resonate within your spirit. But he says this about pain. He says, look, look, he says, we can't ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. No doubt pain as God's megaphone is a terrible instrument. It may lead to final and unrepentant rebellion, but it gives the only opportunity the bad man can have for amendment. It removes the veil. It plants the flag of truth within the fortress of the rebel soul. I'll let that sink in for a second. He's saying that pain is God's megaphone. It's how he gets the attention of the world. But he said, notice, he said this could be the final blow in some people's lives. Because they can't see the redemptive aspect of pain. And some people... The pain will drive them away from God. And for some other people, the pain will drive them to God. It's a mystery to say the least, but he says that it is an instrument in God's hands. Paul here tells you that this pain comes in, in three dimensions, right? Paul says there's the physical dimension, right? The thorn in the flesh, it, it's a physical pain. And for some people, it is the physical. But Paul also says there's a mental dimension to this, right? He says there's a message of saints. In other words, there's a mental aspect of pain. He feels tormented by this messenger. And then thirdly, Paul says there's a spiritual dimension to this. You feel like you reached out to God and God didn't come through the way you wanted him to. So depending on where you are in your journey, this pain can come in these different dimensions, physically, physically, Mentally 
and spiritually, I would say this, it's impossible for one not to affect the other. Physical pain usually will mess your mental pain and it leads to spiritual pain. Are you tracking with me? So the question is, what was this thorn in the flesh, right? This is something that has been debated over centuries. What is exactly that Paul was suffering from? Theologians have argued this over the years, and there's been many speculations. Speculations because we don't really know, but some say that Paul was facing spiritual harassment, that, that Paul felt like there's this demonic oppression to him that he called a thorn in the flesh. Others say it's the, it's the heaviness of the persecution that Paul was going through to bring the gospel through all these regions. But others say it's some type of sickness. We don't know what it was, one type of physical sickness. Some believe it was malaria because Paul was in these regions where malaria was, was rampant and they didn't have the cure for it, and they said, Maybe Paul was suffering from malaria. Others say his mental health, Paul was just depressed. And maybe he, was, he, maybe he got to a place where he's just like, this is too much for me. Others say Paul was struggling with sinful thoughts that would plague him. And so there's many speculations. We don't know for sure. But if you remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about why did God not accept Cain's offering? And we said it was not up to us to know because God wants to say, what am I doing in your life? In other words, God... What is the purpose of this pain in my life? Paul is just a template for all of us to wrestle through the reality of pain. See, the thing is, it's a mature person's question, is God not why, is God for what? We can spend all day long speculating why, and we're never going to get to the bottom of why, because God is not interested in the why. God is interested in his for what. That there... Pain has a redemptive purpose to it. If you get hung up on the why, you will never see for what. And the reality is God doesn't feel obligated to tell you why. He's God. See, for him, pain is an instrument in his hands. And he's a loving God who wants to mature us in trust in him and rely fully on him alone. And we know that if you study the Bible, one of the, one of the people that struggled with pain was a man named Job. Not Job. <laughs> I used to work at Rocky's Ace Hardware store when I was in college. And I'd always ask God to give me a a chance to minister to people wherever I was. And, and I would work with this man. He was older than me. His name was Mike. And, and every time I get a chance to have a shift with Mike, and I would just share whatever's on my heart. I'm like, man, churches, churches, this is what's going on. And God's doing this and doing that. And Mike was one of those people that gave you absolutely nothing. <laughs> Mike had this blank stare every time I talked to him. It was like, am I talking to a wall? Like... He'd never said anything, would never acknowledge anything. But I just felt like, hey, we're working together. I'm just going to keep sharing and see what happens. And weeks turns into months. And one day out of nowhere, I don't remember what day it was, I was stocking shelves and Mike comes up to me and says, I was reading Job. <laughs> I said, I think you mean Job. Goes, uh, interesting stuff. And walks away. Few more weeks and months goes by. Mike says to me, I want to thank you for everything you've been sharing with me because it's been resonating within me. I walked away from faith when I was a little kid, but everything you've told me has resonated to the point that I've gone back to church for the first time in over 30 years. And, and he says, 
I found this church. I wanted you to come with me to tell me, do you think this is a good place for me? <laughs> My friends, you don't know what people are going through. Don't rule people out just because you're not seeing what God is doing internally in people's lives. But Job, my friends, went through some stuff. I think it's fair to say that Job went through hell on earth. If you know the story of Job, he lost everything. Why? Because the enemy said to God, this is a conversation, again, mystery. Why would the enemy be talking to God and telling him, the only reason this man worships you is because you spoil him. You give him everything. He says, give me, watch this, permission to inflict pain. To which God says yes. Which, by the way, think about this. Your job on earth, you have no clue that there's a conversation going on about you in heaven. See, this is what I'm saying. There's a mystery attached to the stuff that we don't fully know. This is where we have to trust that God is sovereign and we're not. So he begins to strip away a Job's life. And you know the story. He lost everything, including his health. So There's two terrible parts about Job's story. The whole thing is terrible, but this is like the worst. <laughs> One is his wife. Wife said, curse God and die. How would you like to have that person for a wife? Yes. Oh, her husband, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's put the man on the spot too. You got it. Got to be politically correct. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. But the worst part for me is, is Job's friends. The Bible says Job has three friends. Comes and sees him in this moment of turmoil. Job is in terrible pain. And all three friends keep saying, Job, you must have done something wrong to be in this situation. Why? Because they had a theology that if you are in pain, it must, must mean that you did something wrong. My friends, that's a terrible theology because we don't know why someone might be in pain. And they go back and forth theologically. I told you that the struggle that I'm seeing in our generation is everybody has head knowledge, no one has experience. They spew in their head knowledge about why Job should be in pain. And Job is saying, I'm a righteous man. I've lived right. I've been blameless. I don't know why God is doing this to me. I don't know why God's allowing this to happen to me. And we go back and forth for 30 plus chapters of theological debates, which God was not in it. When God shows up, says, Job, I see you have a lot of questions. And you would think God's coming to tell Job why he's going through this. And if you go read it, it's three chapters of God saying, okay, my turn. Let me ask you some questions, Job. First question out of God's mouth, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? To which I'd be like, checkmate. (laughs) Yeah, you got me. But that was just question number one. Job, where were you when I told the oceans they can go this far and no more? Where were you when I opened the barns of heaven and released snow on the earth, Job? You do that? God never answers this question. God says, let me ask you some questions to give you a perspective that you don't have. And be careful with sugarcoating theology without having experiences. Because now, what we have nowadays, we have a lot of people who are experts but with no experience. Yeah. 
just spewing head knowledge. The worst thing you can do in someone's pain is to sugarcoat it with your head knowledge. By the end of the questions that God never answered one. Because he's never into why, he's into for what. Job says, look at Job's answer. This is powerful. You don't get this from head knowledge. You get this from experience. Job says, I had only heard about you before. But now I've seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Job's like, yo, I had an idea of you. I've had a notion of you. But through this pain, now I have an experience with you. There's a difference between head knowledge and firsthand experience. It changes your life when you experience something versus just knowing about it. See, C.S. Lewis says, I always had this notion of God, and he's such a great thinker, one of the greatest of the 20th century. Go look it up. C.S. Lewis was an atheist who became a believer, and he wrote many books. But he said, I had these head knowledges of God, but it wasn't until my wife Joy died of cancer that I actually experienced the things that I was telling people about. Because you can't replace experience. There's too many Captain Obvious nowadays who have a whole lot of head knowledge, but no experience attached to recently give you a perspective of pain. You got people who have never been married telling people how to be married. I was doing a marriage class this week, and I said the worst thing you can do is, is allow your boy who is hanging out, going to clubs, doing his thing, telling you how to be married. You got people telling you how to be parents, but they've never been parents. Just because you did a couple of TikTok videos doesn't mean you know how to parent. It cracks me up. You got 15-year-olds talking about, I wrote a book about success. What do you know about success at 15? People telling you how to run a church, but it's like, what was the last time you were a leader of anything? Everybody's a politician now. Everybody's a theologian now. But the question is, where's the experience attached to that reaction? No, experience comes through pain. Whether we like it or not, pain is one of our greatest teachers in life. Because pain has a way of marking us that we don't forget. Matter of fact, this might sound crazy, but I think... God allows pain so we don't forget. You know, the Bible says that Jesus still has scars. When you go up to heaven, the the scars will still be there in his hands and in his sides and on his feet. It's a constant reminder of what it took to pay for the price of your sins. Because I don't know about you, what pain does... It makes you more relatable. What pain does is that it makes you more compassionate and more sweet. I don't know about you, but some of the people that I look up to are the older saints in the faith. They've gone through stuff. They have scars to prove it, but they're not jaded. They're not cynical. They're not angry. They're not standoffish. They're actually very approachable because they know this is what life is all about. 
And some of them are in this room right now. I, lo I love talking to all the saints. They give you a different perspective because they're not just talking out of head knowledge. They're talking out of experience. Yeah. Problem is nowadays we have too many people who have head knowledge, no experience, but telling you like they have experts. But we have experts with no experience. But pain brings experience. Makes you more compassionate. Makes you more relatable. Can I say this? What the heck happened to compassionate and sweet people? Like, we, all we have is opinionated people, angry people, frustrated people, bitter people. What happened to compassionate and sweet people who are not weak, but they're strong because they know that their weakness actually produces strength? Like, what happened to those people? That when you're going through something, they're not just telling you the facts, but they're sitting with you. One of the things they teach you in Bible school is when there is pain, you don't talk, you sit. Because your presence is better than your words in certain situations. Matter of fact, it is what makes you a minister. Pain, please write this down, gives you a platform to speak into people's lives. In the same letter, Paul says this. He says, look, you got to get perspective of why you go through certain things. Watch this. In Corinthians, he goes on to say, look, he says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father in the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can what? We can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with this comfort through Christ. So pain gives you a platform. That's why God doesn't say why. He says for what. If you're stuck on the why, you might go the other way as opposed to go into him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My friends, please get this. That's not an answered prayer. That's an answer to a prayer, not the way I want it to be answered sometimes. But I think we diminish this because I think we have the wrong idea of grace. I think we've, we've diminished grace to this, like, this sweet thing, this, this, uh, this uh, you know, I, I just got to feel something. That's not what grace is all about. The real definition of grace here is that it's the favor and the love of God in action exactly where you are. And you don't know that until you're there. Like this morning, some of y'all, you didn't sing that song. You lip synced it. But some people sang it from a place of knowing where they are right now. See, that's why two people can go to a church building. You know, it, for some of them, it was a cute thing. It was a nice ceremony. You know, they have nice songs. But some people like, I had an encounter with God because I'm well, not enough. But he was right there with me. That's why we tell you every week, worship is not singing songs. Worship is, is your life dedicated to him. Because if all you did was sing some songs, you can do that at karaoke night. It's right now in this very moment, the grace of God operating in my weakness. God's grace is sufficient for me. My friends, that's a confession of a mature believer. Matter of fact, that's a confession that you would have to confess often in life. 
a confession that I would say a great way to start your morning is to say your grace is sufficient for me this day. Your power is made perfect in my weaknesses because when I acknowledge my weaknesses, then I'm acknowledging where my strength comes from. My strength comes from the Lord who is the maker of heaven and earth. This is not some mushy feeling. This is the power of God at work in people who are actually activating the grace of God in their lives. We don't know that God's grace is all we need until God's grace is all we got. It hits different when you're in it. How do you think our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are reading scriptures right now? It hits different when your life is on the line, when you're going through hell on earth versus being in America in a nice AC place talking about my grace is sufficient. No, it's different when you're in it. And, and forgive the punk in me, but I would love to take some of our head knowledge theologians and drop them in Afghanistan right now and say, show me what this looks like in real hell on earth time. Where this is not theory, this is not, this is reality that some brothers and sisters are going through hell on earth right now. How do you think they read scriptures? It's different. It hits different when you know this is all I got. You don't know Jesus is all you got until Jesus is all you have. Paul the apostle was going through this. You, you, you think, listen, sometimes people are like, I wish you could go back to the Testament days. That was hell on earth. Shipwreck, beaten, stoned, backstabbed, left for dead. The whole church that he planted turns on him. He's not writing this from Starbucks sipping latte. He's writing from, listen, are you reading the New Testament? We're in Philippians this week and Thessalonians. You know who he's writing that from? From prison. I'm not talking about American prison. I'm talking about first century prison where history says there's a gutter running right after your feet and there's sewer, there's stink, there's rats, there's terrible smells. And he's saying, my grace is sufficient for me. My God. Listen, I'm serious. This, this thing is jacking me up, this American understanding of faith versus the reality of it. Where we only go to church when it's comfortable. I hate to say this, there might come a time in America when it comes down to you either believe or you don't and your life is on the line. We're not playing games. When that cancer report hits home, we're not playing games. My grace is sufficient. It's not a cute kumbaya song. It's a reality. It's a confession. That his grace will sustain me. He says, I take pleasure in my weaknesses. Who talks like that? Paul is different. When I get to heaven, that's the guy I want to talk to. Forget David with his little swing. Where's Paul? I want to talk to Paul. How in the world, man, did you have that perspective? To say I take pleasure in my weakness. My gosh, we live in a generation where no one likes to show weakness. We pretend we're strong when we're hurting. 
We put on the front like we got this. When we go to bed crying. He says, no, look, that's maturity. Because he knows God engineered the circumstances into my life so I can constantly depend on him. You get this perspective, that's maturity. Don't you get it? There's sometimes that pressure that God leaves there, he knows that you need that pressure because without that pressure, you think you got this. Tell someone the other day, the worst place we can be in life is when we overcome something. We go, okay, I got it now, God. And God goes, oh, man. The whole purpose I brought you through that is to show you that you don't got it. That you need to be relying on me and be plugged into me so you don't lose it. See, we long for the journey to become easier. We hope to stop struggling against certain things. And I'm here to declare to you that's an illusion. We're not home. We live behind enemy lines. Paul himself experienced weakness. Jesus himself experienced these moments of vulnerability. My friends, there's nothing more hindering to the work of God than our own pride. When we think we got it. God says then, on your own. See this? This might be oversimplifying it, but I think there's three types of pain. There's self-inflicted pain, where I brought it upon myself. There's others-inflicted pain, where someone used their free will, their free choice to hurt me. Then there's life pain, where it's mysterious, and I don't know why, and so I can have two approaches to those pains to say, say it is inflicting pain, and God's trying to redeem the pain. Problem is, If we don't discern through the pain, we might become victims to the pain as opposed to becoming victors. Think about it. Self-inflicted pain makes you a victim. You blame everybody for your pain. And we live in a society of victims. Like how in the world do you go to McDonald's, order a hot cup of coffee, burn yourself, and then sue McDonald's? That's a victim mindset. And we laugh because that sounds bizarre, but man, how in the world that we put ourselves in situations and then blame others? Always looking to pass the buck. We got that from our forefathers, right? Adam and Eve, who made me do it? No, it was his fault. No, it was her fault. It was the devil's fault. The devil's like, I only suggested it. Think about it. This guy, well, this guy came into my life. He can't come into your life if you don't allow him to come into your life. This, this job, wait, didn't you pray for it? These kids, this husband, this wife. Self-inflicted pain, the problem is if there's no ownership in it, then there's no freedom from it. See, see, God loves to redeem, but God cannot redeem anything that's not exposed first. 
only I had the right parents. Well, who does? Who does? Even the Huxtables, we found out. <laughs> Just saying. Some of y'all are Googling right now. Who are we talking about? Others inflict the pain. This is important. You have to discern this because you don't have to put up with other people's dysfunction. This is important. Because here's the thing. The last thing you want is to, is to give a theology to something that God didn't give it to you. Some people say, it's my cross to bear. No, it's not. It's their curse on you, and you can shun away from it because you cannot allow other people's free will to impose on your will. Just to be clear, here's what I'm trying to say. If you're in an abusive relationship, you don't have to be in it. Matter of fact, I pray today is your freedom to get out of it because you don't have to be in a relationship. Talking about I'll never do it again. Yeah, you won't do it to me again because I'm out. I'm trying to free us that we don't have to be in everything that comes our way and we don't have to own it. I'm only responsible for the ownership of the things that I can control. And there's life-inflicted pain that's out of my control that I don't know why it's here. I need to ask God, what are you doing? Because there's a mystery to pain that I will, will never fully understand on the side of life. But here's the thing. Paul is telling you about his pain, but don't get it twisted. Paul is not a victim to his pain. How do I know this? Because Paul is telling you the reality of how he gets strength in weakness. If you've been reading through the New Testament, I hope you are, in the book of Philippians, what does he say? Watch this. Paul blows my mind. I want to meet this guy. Watch this. He says in Corinthians, go ahead, next. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Paul is not a victim. Paul is actually telling you, hey, because I have weaknesses, I lean into Jesus, and that's where I find the strength to do everything. It doesn't matter how I find myself. I could be hungry. I could be half full. It doesn't matter what it is. Christ is my strength. I want to meet this guy. Because you wrote this, not a Starbucks. He wrote this from a jail cell. It's one thing to, to post a cute Instagram post. another thing to live it. Don't be a victim. The thorn, don't get it twisted, didn't stop him from his purpose. Actually, the thorn gave him purpose. Don't, don't lose that. Some people, your pain is the platform to your purpose. Wake up to the reality of a God who wants to do powerful things through your pain. Take ownership and let the pain shape you. Lean into it. I'm preaching to myself, by the way. I've been preaching this to myself. Lean into it. Don't shy away from it. We live in a society who loves to escape. 
made a joke the other day. Some people were like, you know, I don't have time to serve. I have this going on. I'm have going on. I'm like, the church didn't burn you out. Your Netflix account did. <laughs> See how quiet we get? Because <laughs> we rather escape than to lean. But no pain, no maturity. Matter of fact, don't you understand? Every time you try to escape, you miss an opportunity to grow. And don't you get it? The more you quit, the more of a quitter you become. Here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing people quit things they're supposed to lean into and then, and then lean on things they're supposed to quit. Because of a lack of maturity that no one, uh, this is going to mess us up, but no one owes you anything. We're, we're, we're always waiting for the weather to align itself. We're going to be waiting for a long time, especially in New England. You don't know what you're going to get from day to day. Tomorrow, it might snow. <laughs> I can't rule that out in New England. But the thing is, you know, if I only had the right parents, and if I only had the right income, and if I only had the right neighborhood, it's funny thing is, it's like, you know in your neighborhood, if you walk three blocks down, not everybody's killing each other? Fact. Three blocks down is different from that neighborhood. Guess what? Move. I, I, this is one of my jokes. I tell people, hey, when you find the perfect church, let me know. I'll send my kids. Because <laughs> we're all looking for the, the perfect thing. But we don't realize we live on this side of life behind enemy lines. See, the, the situation in Afghanistan is, is troubling. It's heartbreaking. If there's a hell on earth, that's, that's it. When you're stuck in a country with evil and you're trying to get out and you're willing to, to try to hang on the side of a plane, my God, that's hell on earth. And here we are from the comfort of our place. We don't know what that means. It's little kids losing their, kid, their parents. And we pray and we ask God to intervene. And you realize there's some things on this side of life that's never going to make sense. And you do what you can to help. Why? Because pain makes you compassionate and sweet. And you put yourself in those situations. The Bible says if, if you see someone in jail, picture yourself in it. You, 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 don't, you don't speak from a place of like, oh, look where I'm at. No, you, you try to experience what that pain's look like. And if I never go through that, I've gone through pain to know what pain feels like. So as a, as a church, we've been praying and trying to do our best to help brothers and sisters leave Afghanistan. We just donated, uh, between this church and the one in Smithfield, we donated $9,000 to help families. Just how do we get you out of there? Because why? You don't have to be in a pain if you can get it out. Because when you see pain, and if you can do something about it, you're being like Jesus. But the, the pain in Afghanistan and Iraq and, and Haiti, it, it brings a perspective that pain is temporary. If, if it's not, we're wasting our time in this church. It's what separates redemptive pain from just evolutionary pain. 
The Bible says that our pain has a redemptive purpose to it, even eternal. If that's not true, we're wasting our time here. Paul says in Corinthians 15, he says, if the resurrection is not real, then our faith is futile. It's nonsense. It's dumb. Why would we be here? But he says, no, your pain is temporary. Why? Because there's an eternal perspective to everything. So if I don't see Afghanistan through the eyes of eternity, my goodness, what a bleak and hopeless situation. Here's what Paul puts it. I'm going to end here. Worship team, you can come. Paul says it this way. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far awaits them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That is the only way that pain on this side of life will make sense. If there's no eternity, then man, what a miserable, miserable life. But if there is eternity, then eternity gives you this perspective to say, man, it's only light and momentary compared to eternity. If we don't have that perspective, we are miserable people. How do you think... Our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan read their Bibles very different from us because they're in the thick of it. Are they clinging to Jesus? You better believe it because they know this is all we got. It's all we got. You don't know Jesus or you have until Jesus is all you got. That's the reality of pain from an eternal standpoint. We are eternal beings, therefore pain is temporary. In the meantime, on this side, Lord, how can I get perspective? How do you want to shape me? How do you want to mold me so that my pain can have some type of redemption perspective on this side of life? I believe this journey should make us more compassionate and more sweet, not jaded, not cynical, not bitter, not angry. Because if that's happening, then pain has had the other effect on you. In the book, The Problem of Pain, there's a chapter on hell. C.S. Lewis says, hell has to make sense because there has to be a choice attached to how we respond to pain. That at some point, you either say to God, your will be done, or God says, well, then your will be done. Hell is simply God honoring your choice to say, I want to do it my way. That even a loving God allows you to have that freedom. Because it would be weird for him to force you into his will. So the pain is an instrument, but it can go left on you or it can go right on you based on your choices. We're all in the thick of it somewhere, somehow, at some point. When we know this, it's not in, it's not when, it's, it's not if, it's when. Yeah. When. That hits home. My friends, the climate in our world forces you to make a decision about how you're going to live your life. If Jesus is not the Lord of your life, then you don't have an eternal perspective. 
if you tell God what to do, you're your God. I believe we either the pressure has been turned on in the kitchen that we either lean into it or we're going to run away from it. That we either are going to get serious about Jesus being the Lord of our lives or we're just going to play church and find ourselves in the wrong side of pain. Because there is a redemptive side of it, but he has to be Lord. He went and paid. And it only makes sense if my life is surrendered. Even then I struggle. Even then there are moments that I'm like, God, I don't get it. But I can trust you. Because you speak from the other side of this thing. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning? Is Jesus truly the Lord of your life? Because his pain was for you. He's got, he's got scars to prove it. Redemptive pain. Our struggle is we, we want to do it our way and then we want God to bless it. That's our struggle. I want to do whatever I want to do. I want to say whatever I want to say. I want to have whatever lifestyle I want to have. And then I want God to still bless my life. You live that way, you just can be miserable. Because your mind is divided. There's freedom in surrendering. Where it's like, man, I know I'm not in charge. And I know I'm not enough. Unless he comes. So this message is, it won't make sense if Jesus is not Lord of your life. If going to church is a tradition for you, it's not going to do it. Tradition is not going to define you. It has to be experience. Head knowledge, not enough. When life hits, you need first-hand account that this grace really is sufficient, that his power really is manifested in your weakness. So let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit will be here right now, connecting the dots in our hearts. Only you can do that. Only you know where each one of us is. And I pray today, Lord, that we allow you to to shape us through the pains of life. I pray, Lord, we repent and we turn to you and we surrender and we trust you, Lord. Some of us need to surrender self-inflicted pain. Some of us need to surrender others' inflicted pain. And, and others here need to surrender life pains that we don't have any control over. But we trust you. Because you speak to us from eternity. And Lord, we even take a moment to lift up our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Lord, I can't imagine hell on earth. I can only pray for you, God, of God of justice to intervene and to, and, to, and to make a way where there seems to be no way, Lord. And for you, Lord, to speak to those in power to do the right thing, Lord. We lift up even our president to you and pray, Lord, inflict the pain in his own mind to see the reality of what's happening, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your justice will prevail and your will will be done. But we know, Lord, that we need eternal perspective the only thing that would make sense. 
coming from that place. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We're going to open up a time of prayer. The altar is open for you to come and soak and spend time in the presence of God. And allow the pain to become an instrument of grace. I pray you lean into it as we surrender together. Let's worship. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.